This episode is sponsored by ByHeart. And I feel like I need to preface what I'm going to say with this. I'm a huge advocate of breastfeeding. Anyone who knows me well knows that nursing is something I believe in. And all five of our biological children were breastfed until they were 19 to 23 months old. However, we also have fostered and adopted, and I've been so grateful for formula companies in those situations. I'm also grateful for formula companies because our last two biological children, I really struggled with my supply and did all the things, spent so much time and effort, and just was never able to produce enough for them to be able to gain weight and not be hungry. And so I was so grateful for companies like Byheart. Byheart is an infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Their mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. Using the latest in breast milk science, Byheart created a clinically proven, easy to digest infant formula that's made with organic, grass-fed whole milk, certified clean ingredients, and features a patented protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. They're made with certified clean ingredients. It has no soy, corn syrup, GMOs, or palm oil. Curious about Byheart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com forward slash podcast with code crystal for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. So go to byheart.com forward slash podcast and use crystal to get your welcome offer. Welcome to the Crystal Pain Show, where we help you embrace your life right where you are and give you practical steps to get to where you want to go. Now, let's get a cup of tea and spend a few minutes together. Here's your host, wife, mother of three, and entrepreneur, Crystal Payne. Welcome to another episode of the Crystal Pain Show. When this episode drops, Jesse and I will actually be in Rome and getting ready to head to India. We've been anticipating this trip for months. We're going with another couple from our church that we're very close with, and it will be my second time in both Rome and India, but it's everyone else's first time. So I'm really excited to get to see them all experience it for the first time. If you're interested in following along with our trip, I'll be sharing lots of pictures and videos and behind the scenes things on my Instagram stories. You can follow me there at The Money Saving Mom, and I'll be sure to link my Instagram account in the show notes. Since I have international travel on the brain right now, on today's episode, I'm going to be telling you about a few of my top must-haves for international travel. I'll also be telling you about some of the guidelines we put in place for our daughter Catherine's phone usage. And I'm going to talk about a book I recently read on decorating. Yes, I read a book on decorating, and I want to tell you how it impacted me. By popular demand, Jesse is also coming back on this episode, and he and I are going to be continuing on telling our story because you all asked for us to continue telling more details of our story. So we're going to talk about our early years of our marriage and also answer a question on what it's like for us to be self-employed and work closely together. It's time for the What's Saving My Life segment. This is the part of the show where I talk about something that is making my life easier, better, or more productive. Since we're currently on an international trip, 
when you listen to this podcast, I wanted to share five of my top must-haves for long international flights because I've taken quite a few long international flights in the last four years, including multiple trips to South Africa and back where the flights are 15 to 18 hours long each way. Number one, I think it's imperative that you pack wet wipes or antibacterial wipes. I use them for so many different things on flights and when I'm on trips. One of my favorite ways to use them and one I highly recommend is to wipe down the seat, the armrest, the seat tray, the TV, the TV remote, anything you're going to be touching on the trip that probably is germ-infested with the many, many people who sat in that seat before you. I will not talk about the disgusting things that you usually will see when you wipe down your seat armrest. It's not so great, but you definitely want to be wiping them down with wet wipes. Number two, I have fallen in love with natural Dramamine. I get motion sickness anytime I'm on a flight for longer than three hours. So Dramamine, when I take that, which is what I used to take, it makes me pretty much like a zombie and like I'm just completely drugged up. So I discovered this thing called natural ginger Dramamine, and it is the perfect combination for me. It's just the right amount of calming of my queasy stomach and then also helping me to relax in order to be able to sleep without making me completely drugged up and unable to function. Third, I think you need really great headphones. I love the Bose earbuds. I got mine on Amazon a few years ago. I've used them so often. They're great because they're noise canceling, but they're also not these large headphones that are hard to sleep when you have them in. Because yes, I put my headphones in and usually listen to podcasts while I'm trying to fall asleep or just resting on the plane. Fourth, I love a good crossbody pillow. I think it's really important if you are going to be trying to sleep on a long flight, and let's hope you're going to be trying to sleep, that you think about how you actually sleep in bed. So when you're in an economy seat on an airplane, it's very uncomfortable. So think about everything that you can do to make it as comfortable as you can possibly make it. So for me, I am a side sleeper, so I got this crossbody pillow that straps up to the top of my airplane seat. And then it's uh, kind of just lays across my body. And then I can use it to kind of pretend like I'm side sleeping while I'm on the long flight. And I'll link to that in the show notes in case you're trying to envision this in your mind. Um, Finally, a travel blanket. A lot of times it'll be cold on the plane, and if I am cold, it's really uncomfortable to try to be sleeping. So I have the kind of travel blanket that actually has a cutout for my head. So you just put your head through the blanket, and then it's kind of like a glorified Snuggie. But it works great. It's so comfortable. And the one that I have actually then rolls up and zips into this little pouch, so it hardly takes up any room in your luggage. Like I said, I will link to all of those things in the show notes. And I also will put some links to some other posts that I've written on international travel, how I packed for a 10-day international trip in a carry-on, and what I pack in my backpack when I'm on international flights. Last episode, I talked about how we've talked with our daughter, Catherine, who is currently 13 years old, on the things you need to be aware of when it comes to cell phones and the possible dangers and issues that can arise as a result of anonymous apps and cyberbullying. I promise to tell you more about the specific guidelines we have in place for her phone usage in this episode. 
Well, I think you need to decide what is best for your own kids. Here are a few things we've decided for Catherine. First off, phone usage is a privilege, not a right. Catherine is not entitled to have her phone. It is a privilege that we give to her. This is something that I think is very important for kids to understand so that they don't think that they are, of course, entitled to having a phone and, of course, entitled to being able to use their phone whenever they want. Secondly, this goes along with what I just said, but mom and dad own your phone. We pay for the phone. It's our property. Therefore, we have access to everything on that phone at any time that we want to have access to it. So we oftentimes will just get her phone and we'll look at her text. We'll look at what she's doing on her phone so that we're just checking in. And actually, Catherine tells her friends, my mom reads all of my text. And I think that's really good for all of her friends to know that her mom could be reading their text at any time. I just feel like it's a little good safety precaution to have in place. Also, we don't have internet on her phone. You can set this up under restrictions, and I think it's just good because it protects from if anybody sends her a link or someone's going to try to show her something on the phone. She just doesn't even have internet access, and so there's not the possibility of looking at something that might be inappropriate on the internet. And finally, she does not have social media. We have decided at this point that she does not need social media, and we've had some discussions with her, and she understands why. We might change this in the future, but for right now, that's what we feel like is best. And I feel like it's just a good protection for her. That way, her friends are not trying to friend her. She can just say, I don't do social media right now. Now, like I said, these are not hard and fast rules that I think every parent should put into place, nor am I saying we will always have these in place, but for now, this is what we feel like are good parameters for us to have. By the way, if you're looking at purchasing a phone for your child or your teenager, I highly recommend checking out this episode's sponsor, Twigby. They are a company that offer amazing deals on phone plans. The Twigby site is so easy to use. You can go on and pick exactly what you want and pay for just what you want to use instead of being locked into needing to pay for a lot of bells and whistles on a phone. Plus, you can update your phone plan anytime you'd like whenever your needs change. Twigby uses two different networks that are the nation's largest networks, by the way. They use these for talk and text, and this double coverage provides a lot of peace of mind for parents because you know that you will always be able to get in touch with your child or your teen. I love that Twigby offers basic phones that aren't smartphones, too. This might be a great option to consider for your child's first phone. This means that you can get a hold of your child or they can get a hold of you, but they don't have data or internet access on their phone. If you want something more than just a basic phone, Twigby also has many options for smartphones at great prices. And parents, you'll love this. You do not have to have a data plan on these smartphones. That's right. With Twigby, you can choose to only use Wi-Fi for data. And if you happen to have an old phone on hand, maybe one that you're just no longer using because you upgraded, you may be able to use it with a Twigby plan, and that will save you even more money. By the way, did I mention that Twigby offers phone plans that start as low as $9 per month? Yes, for real. Just head over to twigby.net forward slash tween to check out their phone plans and take advantage of an offer to save 25% off the first six months of your phone plan. That makes this a steal of a deal. 
That's twigby.net, T-W-I-G-B-Y.net forward slash tween. And of course, we'll have a link to them in the show notes. A big thank you to Twigby for sponsoring today's episode. My book pick for this week is Cozy Minimalist Home by Mikewellen Smith. She's actually going to be coming on the podcast soon, but I just couldn't wait to tell you about this book because I just finished it and it is fantastic. Now, if you know me online or you know me in person, you know that I'm not really into decorating, but I surprised myself by loving her first book called The Nesting Place. So I decided to go ahead and read this one too. I loved her simple and straightforward approach in this book. She walks you step-by-step through the details of how to set up a room so that it is cozy, but also not overwhelming. I love that cozy, minimalist approach that she shows. And she shares pictures for every single step. She shows you what not to do and then what you should do. So it's great for people like me who are very visual. The book is a fun and easy read, and it left me feeling like I could actually decorate. In fact, I was reading it at my hair appointment, and I got so excited that yesterday afternoon, I called Jesse on the phone as soon as I was done, and I started telling him all about the things that I had learned and some things that I wanted to implement really soon in our home. Again, that's Cozy Minimalist Home by Michaelin Smith, and we'll have a link to it in the show notes. I got to be honest, I was shocked with your response to the last episode that Jesse and I did together. We talked about our unconventional courtship and our engagement, and many of you were very intrigued and asked a lot of follow-up questions. If you missed that episode, you can go back and listen to episode five to get all the inside scoop. We had actually planned to move on to topical episodes after that one, but because so many of you had questions and begged us to continue on with our story, we decided to bring you another few episodes where we talk really honestly about our first few years of marriage. As many of you know, Jesse started law school six months after we got married. Jesse, do you want to talk about why you decided to go to law school in the first place? I'd really had a desire to go to law school ever since probably my last two years of college. Um, I really started getting an interest in constitutional law specifically. I feel like it was more like when you were 15 or 16. You, Yeah, that's two years before I graduate. I thought you said your last Did two it? years of college. Oh, okay. Okay, it's more like when you were 15 or 16. High school. I meant high school. Oh, last two years. Okay, I was wondering. So I was like, wow, okay. Yeah, and uh, getting into more involved in history and politics, and I really... I like history, especially American history, and it's kind of the, the confluence of history and politics. Confluence? What does confluence mean? We can't use legalese here. It's not legalese. It's okay. What is confluence? Like where two rivers come together to make one. You know. Anyway, <sighs> just say just state it in regular you know terminology. It is uh, <laughs> where history and law come together is constitutional law. And that's what my interest was in. So I decided that I wanted to go ahead and further that interest and go to law school. Should we talk about the speeches that you would give in front of church about, what did you talk about? You would go up in front of church and you and your friend would dress up in your suits with your patriotic ties and give these stirring speeches that were mostly mostly plagiarized and ripped off from David Barton. Yeah, history speeches. You were good at it though, but you had the passion then. Right. Yeah. 
So you wanted to go to law school. You knew that you wanted to go to law school from the time that you were 15 or 16. And so then going into marriage, we knew that the plan was that you were going to go to law school. Like that was, that was a given. It wasn't just something maybe sort of, but we had this, Right. we were both on the same page that you were going to go to law school. So we go and we move away from our family, which that in itself was a challenge because we'd always lived in Wichita, Kansas. We'd always had all our family. We were very close with our family, our church. And even though it was only two and a half hours away, it felt like this major move for us. Yeah, it was. and But it was really one of the best things that we could do, you know, to really step out on our own and be our own family unit. And we'd set this audacious goal that we were going to go through law school debt-free. Right. And you had the money set aside for law school. And I think because we went in state or you went in state, I would say we, because it yeah, felt it, like it, well, it, was it was us, we. Together, it was us but together, but you did all the hard work. So because you had that money set aside and you went in state, so it was much, much less expensive than it Correct. would have been if you went out of state. And then you also got some scholarships. I did, I did get some scholarships and it helped because that money that I had set aside was actually all of my education money set aside. So it helped going to a cheaper in-state school for college instead of going out of state and paying the exorbitant rates that uh, that would have incurred and eaten into what I had saved up for law school, which is one reason why I wanted to go ahead and stay at that cheaper in-state tuition level. So we had this money set aside to go to law school, but we didn't know how we were going to put a roof over our head and put food on the table because you were only allowed to work 20 hours a week when you were in law school, right? Or It was recommended not to work any more than 20 hours a week, but I think I worked more than that. But it was hard to put in more right. than 20 hours because you just were studying so much in classes so much. And so then I was working as a mother's helper or nanny um, for three different families and doing some babysitting. And I tried to start some other things, creative writing classes. I tried to teach violin because that was something that I had done when we were in Wichita and that just never took off. But working, yeah, but working, uh, I think, I don't know how many hours I was working a week. I think I was working four and a half Four, four and a half days a week um, with yeah, in between the different families. And for a few and hours each day. Each, and a lot yeah, of driving. A lot of driving because I would drive to their houses and spend the time there. But that was that paid pretty well for me to be doing that as far as a part-time job goes. And so right. we, we, between our two jobs together, we were able to kind of coddle right. together enough money to barely cover our expenses, although it never really made sense on paper. <laughs> we would do the money. It would do, you do your spreadsheet on your yeah. little ledger at the end of the month. And we'd be like, yep. I don't know. We paid all our bills. We tithed. I don't know how that, you know, a lot of months it was less than a thousand dollars that we would make, but it's, it would. It's still pretty fun. I was using, a, like you said, a ledger, one of those green bank ledgers. My dad, when I was like 15 or 16, taught me how to keep books. And uh, that was for a business that I had, a lawn mowing business, but I kept those ledgers. And it's so fun to look back and saying, wow, how did we make it? And really a sign of God's faithfulness and how we made it. It's fun to look back on. And I think for us, we grew so much in our marriage through 
the time of being away from family, even though it was only two and a half hours, we couldn't just go run over to their house. You know, it was, we had to figure out our way on our own. We had made the commitment that we weren't going to ever talk about our financial needs, that we were just going to trust God together, live by faith, try to stay out of debt and work hard and be creative. And so one of those ways was keeping our grocery budget really low and many weeks we would only have $20 or even as little as $17 to cover all of our meals. And right. I had to get really creative. And that's oh, we got very creative. And very doing creative. Secret shopping and mystery shopping for those who don't know, it's where you get paid to go and shop. We did a lot of McDonald's Sonic. and Sonic. We, we, we remember that time we did like seven Sonics in Topeka in one night on yes. getting the popcorn chicken salad and started yes. getting sick of it by the time we were done. Yes. And um, we would go to McDonald's and you had to, those shops, you had to go through the drive through and you had to do dine-in and the same thing. And I was always so scared that they were going to recognize me. So I would bring a hat and kind of a disguise. <laughs> Did and- you have to take pictures of the receipts and send them in? Yes. Well, then you would have to fill out an online thing. And they would, so they would pay for your meal. And then I think I would make 350 or something. But at that point, we had a lot more, I had a lot more time than money. And right. so all of that added up. I did, I would take online surveys. I wish there was things like swag bucks and some of the stuff that I know about now. But well, that's, we did like Longhorn Steakhouse and stuff back then. And that's how you got involved in the, the uh, drugstore game, yes. which kind of led to different business opportunities later that. Yeah. So for the drugstore game, for those who might not be familiar with that, that's how you would uh, basically, I don't know if you call it gaming the system. We call it the drugstore game, but how CVS and Rite Aid and Walgreens, they had these rebate programs. They still have them. They're not at all like they used to be, but where you could go in and if you bought Colgate toothpaste for $2.98, they would give you a rebate of $2.98. So then I would go dig in the dumpster at the store (laughs) for the newspaper inserts that had a 75 cent off coupon or a dollar off. And so then every single time, so I would roll those extra care bucks is what the rebates were called. So I'd buy the toothpaste for 298, use the 75 cent off coupon. So then after tax, I would be making money. So then I take that $2.98, buy more toothpaste, and I just would keep doing this. And so you'd only spend, um, you know, a lot of times we are spending five or 10 or 20 cents out of pocket to maybe get, Right. it started out with like five or $7 worth of products. And, you know, and then it would just kept growing and growing until we had, like fifty dollars mm-hmm. in rebates to use, and we had to get really creative. And we ended up, I think, by the time after the program really, it was kind of at its heyday when we were in Topeka, right. where they had unlimited um, rebates on certain items. So we ended up getting a hundred tubes of toothpaste that then I sold in yeah, a garage ridiculous. sale for a, for a dollar each. And so we made great money because we made money on every single one we bought. And then I made money reselling them. Right. So there's probably some unethical things no. there, but I don't know. It's yours. <laughs> but it's, it's your property. People will buy toothpaste at a garage sale. That's for sure. We learned that. But it was all those types of creative things. People and buy really crazy things at garage they sales. They do. I've sold a lot of interesting things at garage sales. But we ended up, I think we added up over the course of a year with doing the rebate drugstore game at CVS. And I think we got $1,500 worth of products. And I think we spent $50 out of pocket. Yeah. And I think we started, st- totally started the process out with like buying $5 worth of, of right. product and, at CVS and then just 
went from there. Yes. It's ballooned. So that was one way because then we would use that overage that we would make every time we went there. We'd use that to cover other cost of we right. buy as many groceries as we could buy there to cut down on our grocery bill. And so just getting really creative, selling the stuff at the garage sale, then using that to pay for other things. So that time in our life, we look back and I feel like we have a lot of, it was a hard time. It was hard because there were, we didn't have money for, I mean, CVS was kind of our fun thing that we yeah, did out of necessity. And so we would buy things there that we would never be able to pay for elsewhere. But Things like we didn't have any money for clothes, so we couldn't ever buy new, uh, you know, clothes at Goodwill. We couldn't afford that. And I remember the week that our fish that we had gotten from a mystery shop for free yeah, and gotten paid a, to buy at the pet bait, store, a fish. the fish needed more fish food and we did not have the $2 in our budget. And so poor little fish had to go for two weeks until we could afford the money in our budget for that. So money was really, really tight, but we learned I think a lot about contentment during that Mm -hmm. time. And I feel like the foundation that it set for our marriage of working together, communicating, getting on the same page and learning that stuff and money isn't really what brings you joy and happiness. Right. And I think for us, it was so good for our marriage. And we had no idea that that all those skills that I was learning and all of the things that we were learning together was going to actually be the catalyst for money saving mom. Right. Ultimately it was. We had no idea though at that time. And so I just always encourage people if you're in a really hard time in your life where you feel like this doesn't make sense, this is so hard, you have no idea what it could be preparing you for in the future. I think C.S. Lewis has a quote, hardships often prepare ordinary people for an extraordinary destiny. And I think of the millions of people around the globe that have come to Money Saving Mom over the past however many years that we've been running it and and the probably collectively millions of dollars that have been saved. And little did I know in that basement apartment. It's 10, not eight, 10. 10 years. I mean, I've been blogging for- I feel old. I've been blogging (laughs) for 14, over 14 years, but on Money Saving Mom, I started that in 2008. Yep. So in 2007, 2007, I started the practice in 2008. Anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but so it was just such a good time. And then one of the big pieces of that time in our life was then also the year of trying to get pregnant because we really wanted to have kids. But then there was also the fear of what's going to happen if I get pregnant, because a lot of our income was coming from my jobs. And so then what am I going to do? So at that point I was researching, trying to figure out something that I could do from home because I really wanted to be a stay at home mom, but I also had to figure out, okay, if I get pregnant, what am I going to do? I need something to pretty quickly be able to start doing. So I tried, started trying some different things and doing a lot of research, talking to a lot of people. And we actually found out that we were pregnant in kind of a very roundabout way because we'd been trying, but you know, a lot of people know that we struggle with secondary infertility. Most people don't know that our first year we had a lot of issues there. And so we kind of had gotten to the place where we both felt like we don't think this is ever going to happen. And we kind of really given up on that dream. And then one day I was just starting to feel really sick and tired. And you feel sick. Do you remember how I was super irritable? Remember how, remember we were saying, 
I was okay. Okay. Anyway. Um, and so I remember it. So I was working as a nanny and I would do their ironing and I was upstairs and they were all at the house. The mom was there too. And I was doing their ironing and I just had to lay down on the floor. I was so exhausted. And I was like, what is my problem? What is wrong with me? I hope if the mom comes up to the room and she sees me laying down on her bedroom floor, well, I'm supposed to be ironing. This is going to be so embarrassed. But I was just like, I can't stand up. And I remember we thought, I must have this stomach flu or something. Mm-hmm. And I remember you told your dad and I told my mom, like, yeah, I've just been sick for like seven days. And it feels like, the, I think it's the stomach flu. And Well, and we had been just been down to Wichita and babysat for my siblings around that same time, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You, and you were really irritable down there too. I was really irritable. Sorry to Jesse's, all of Jesse's siblings. Sorry, sorry, to, sorry, Laura. Sorry. But then I, finally, I think you were just like, well, maybe you should just take a pregnancy test. You know, let's just, let's just rule that out. And then you went off to school. And so I had a pregnancy test and probably that I got for free from CVS. And I took it. And then I was like, this can't be right. And I call you and I was like, um, I think you need to come home. I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure what's going on with this pregnancy test, but I think you need to come home and look at it. So then we were just shocked and excited. But I was also really sick. And so I had to quit working then because I just was so sick um, mm-hmm. for about three months. And this leads into the next part of our story, which we want to talk about, which is actually has to do with starting the businesses and starting blogging because I started on a blog, but it wasn't Money Saving Mom. And some of you know about this blog, but for those of you who don't know, it's a very interesting story. And it actually answers the question that a lot of people ask, which was how we got from such a conservative, legalistic mindset to where we are now. And to share that part of our story requires me especially to be really vulnerable. Um, But we're going to save that for the next episode because we are out of time, but I will leave you hanging there and we'll share more in our next episode. Usually I close out the show by answering a question from a follower, but since today's question is one that involves our marriage, um, I'm going to have Jesse stay on to answer it with me. So Leslie asks, what does it look like working so closely with your spouse? I'm kind of a little concerned about what the answer might be, but I'd love to hear. Well, really, it, it can be beautiful and it can be ugly at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, it, you, you really have to set boundaries, you know, and know, okay, this is when we're going to talk about business. This is what we're going to talk about. And this is where business stops. Mm-hmm. Give it a lot of grace. And one thing that has really helped this year is really starting to understand the Enneagram and knowing the personality of your spouse and me being able to know how does Crystal tick. Mm-hmm. It really helps. And and you understanding my tendencies and personality. I, I think that's the one of the best tools that a business owner can have, especially for being a good leader for their team, whether it's your, your spouse is on your team, whether you have other people on your team is to be able to know how your team ticks and is encouraged and challenged and motivated. 
I think it gives us a language to speak from Mm -hmm. that we, in an understanding of other people and how they process things and approach things that we didn't have before. And instead of being annoyed, you can embrace Mm -hmm. someone's personality and you can almost just... We, we laugh about it and joke about it a lot. Oh, you're, cause you're a five, you know, right. oh, you're being a five. You need to be a five and, um, okay. You know, or I'm being an eight. And so we have that language that it's common language for us both to understand one another. Um, I also feel like for us, what has helped us to work together well is to know our place and to give each other space to shine where you shine and not expect the other person to do what you're good at. So things that I love marketing or strategy that come really naturally to me, those, I don't expect you to necessarily love that or it to come naturally to you. And so to learn that and to appreciate that your gifting is doing research and looking into things, which is something I don't enjoy at all. But then it also means on the flip side, if I'm bringing an idea to you, you're going to need to spend time researching it Whereas I might just be like, let's move forward with it because that's an eight, whereas right. the five needs to spend time researching it out. And so us understanding that about each other, I think like you touched on making sure that we have plenty of communication that is not business related right. because every conversation can turn into a business meeting when you're self-employed entrepreneurs. And so making sure that we have time for fun and relaxation and dates and, and you know, doing things like that, that do not involve talking about business. Um, Sometimes we have to say, we're not talking about business. Even if there's a lot going on with the business, we're saying, no, this is our time to just have fun together, be together, talk about our hearts, talk about other things in our life than just the business. And so I think that's the hard part of when you're self-employed, when you work together, it can be all consuming. And so finding those boundaries, setting up those boundaries so that you are working well together, but you also are in a marriage relationship, not a business partnership. Right. So thank you so much for a great question, Leslie. And as always, if you have a question on any topic that you'd love for me or for Jesse and me to answer on a future episode, you can email it to crystal at moneysavingmom.com. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode of the Crystal Payne Show. Have a great week. And remember, you can't always choose your circumstances, but you can always choose your attitude. Thank you for joining us today. For more great resources, please visit crystalpain.com.